Let's uh, take our Bibles and turn to the book of Acts in chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, as we uh, turn here in this record of the first century church, we've learned a number of wonderful truths concerning uh, this church. I hope that they are challenging to us uh, as a church today in the 21st century, what we find happening in the first century. Uh, it'd be nice to see those things, although we understand that there was a, a sign gives given to the church uh, by way of confirming them uh, to continue the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but uh, may the, the passion of what we find going on in Acts chapter 1 uh, be the same today in the 21st century. While the second half of Acts 6 and Acts chapter 7 focuses on the ministry of Stephen, we come now to Acts chapter 8 and it focuses on the ministry of Philip. Two main events happen in the ministry of Philip in Acts chapter 8. In the first part of the chapter, we find Philip's ministry in Samaria among the Samaritans. We read that from verse 5 down to verse 26. In the second part of the chapter, we find Philip's ministry to the Ethiopian eunuch in a desert place somewhere between Jerusalem and Gaza. And we'll look at that when we get there. But as we read about the first century churches in the book of Acts, we understand that we only have a limited knowledge of what took place at that time. Uh, it is uh, in verse 4, we have a summary of that time period. Notice in verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Uh, we read, notice in verse 1 of chapter 8, When Saul was consenting unto his death, the death of Stephen, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So up to this point, what you're going to find in the book of Acts is the record of the church at Jerusalem. But from then on, you're going to find the scattering of the believers. And from now in the book of Acts, you're going to find not just a church or the church at Jerusalem, but you're going to find churches, plural because of what's going to happen as a result of the persecution in Acts chapter 8. And we read that they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And so we have a summary statement of what took place at that time. But then we're going to pinpoint the ministry of one individual whose name is Philip. Much like Stephen, he was one of the first deacons in the church, as we read early on in Acts chapter 6. It is interesting uh, that in those last chapters... After the deacons were elected, the first deacons of the church, we have uh, Stephen and then Philip. And their ministry highlighted in those chapters, namely chapter 7 and chapter 8 of the book of Acts. But if we were to read through Acts chapter 8, and we would read throughout that chapter repeatedly, we would remember two individuals apart from Philip. The first one would be Simon. He stands out in Philip's ministry in Samaria. And notice in verse 9 what is said about Simon at the end of the verse, giving out that himself was some great one. So what's we, that's what we know about Simon. He's giving out, he's portraying himself to be some great one, some great person. And so he stands out in this chapter at the ministry of Samaria. And then we have an Ethiopian man whose name is unknown, but we call him the Ethiopian eunuch. And notice in verse 27 of this chapter, And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch 
of great authority under Candace, queen of Ethiopia. And so we find another great man. Now this one was probably a great man in his own right because he was a man of authority, while Simon was just a great man because he wanted to portray himself as someone great. But we have two great men that are highlighted, one in the ministry of Samaria, and then the other one in a desert place somewhere between Jerusalem and Gaza. But these two men, again, had something in common. They are both called great. While Simon thought himself to be great, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch was of great authority. And we will be learning some important truths about these men in our study of this chapter. However, I would like to continue in our theme of this book as we consider the first century church. You see, the context of Acts chapter 8 is what we have seen happening in the church at Jerusalem at that time. We read in verse 1 of chapter 8, there was persecution against the church at that time. We also see that the result of the persecution, according to verse 1, is that the believers were scattered and they went all throughout Judea and Samaria, the Bible tells us, except the apostles. So take the apostles at that time, the twelve apostles, and you remove them from the scattering because they themselves were not scattered. They are not the ones doing the preaching. Other uh, believers in the church were the ones doing the preaching. We read in verse 3 that Saul made havoc of the church. Uh, during that time, entering into every house and hauling the uh, men and the women. And then in verse 4 again, we see the statement that they were scattered abroad. Now I know we're going to look at the specific ministry of Philip, but right now we have an overview of what was happening in the first century in the church at Jerusalem. They are persecuted and they are scattered. There is, if you would, havoc in the church. So in the general sense, we see the persecution of the church. Then we see the scattering of the church. But we make special note of verse 5. They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. We know that that's not the apostles. It's everybody else but the apostles. And so we not only see the persecution of the church, the scattering of the church, but we also see the evangelizing of the church. And I want to make this statement here as we think about the church at that time. If we were persecuted, persecuted today as they were then, and if we were scattered today as they were then, would we be evangelizing as they were then? I want us to think of the church today and we who comprise and who are part of the membership of First Aid Baptist Church and we think about, we know what God has given us to do, but then we bring in at this time and we read about what happened in the church to Stephen. We read about how the Sanhedrin Council told Peter to uh, basically not teach and preach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore and yet the influence of the apostles was growing because we read uh, that uh, Jerusalem was filled with the doctrine of the apostles, and so persecution comes, uh, they're scattered about. Imagine if we were in that first century, and we were having this meeting today, and then some Jew, Jewish authorities would come in, and then would scatter us. What would happen to us? What would happen? 
If we were persecuted as they were then today, if we were scattered as they were then, would we be evangelizing as they were then? You see, Acts 8 is the record of how God used one of those believers in the church of Jerusalem. And his name is Philip. And notice in, we pick it up in verse 4, Acts 8 verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. A general statement about the church at that time. And now we hone in, now think about it, much more took place. We read that whoever was scattered, they went everywhere preaching. So it's not just Philip that was preaching. A lot of other believers were involved in preaching the word. But we just have one instance of a man who preached the word. His name is Philip. Notice, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. I like that. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came uh, out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. I would like to bring your attention to verse 5 where the Bible says that when Philip went down to the city of Samaria, the Bible says he preached Christ. And what you notice here later is there's an expounding of who were the recipients or the ones hearing the preaching of Philip? And the Bible points out twice to us, the first time in verse 9, the Bible says that um, Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria. And then we go down to verse 11. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. I would like to preach a message that I've entitled this morning, Preaching Christ to Bewitched People. Preaching Christ to Bewitched People. As we look at here this, this account, obviously God wants us to know this particular account. He wants this for our learning. He is uh, taking the instance of Philip, not the, all the other believers, but this one specific man and his ministry first in Samaria and then later we'll see in a desert place between Jerusalem and Gaza. But the first highlight here is this era of Samaria. And what we learn here is that he preached Christ as we highlighted this morning in the Sunday school school. We're beginning with the doctrine of Jesus Christ and we're going to expand on that in the next few weeks. And we learn that Jesus Christ is the substance and He is the essence of 
the Christian faith. And that if you take all the religious leaders of the day, if you take Buddha from Buddhism or Joseph Smith from Mormonism or Charles says Russell from the Jehovah's Witnesses, you have still a system of belief that is left. But if you take Jesus Christ away from Christianity, you have absolutely nothing left. You see, Jesus Christ is the one whom we preach, and that's what Philip does here. He preaches to bewitch people. And I would like to notice a number of truths concerning what we read. The first thing we read here in our text is the circumstances of the preaching. There is a little background given to us, and something uh, some, I really enjoy the Bible as we read, not just to read the facts, but the background that is given to us as to the circumstances of this preaching. And what we read here, notice in verse 5, is that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them, and the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did." Now the first thing we find here is we ask ourselves the question here, who is Philip? The Bible says Philip went down. We first read of Philip in Acts chapter 6. If you turn a few pages over to your left, in Acts chapter 6 when uh, there was, um, uh, if you would, a... Um, some conflict in the church over some of the widows that were neglected in the daily ministration. In verse 5, they elect the first deacons of the church, and notice the saying pleased the whole multitude... And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip. And so we know that Philip was a man who was, according to Acts chapter 6, who was filled with the Holy Ghost. He was filled with wisdom. He was of good report among the brethren. And so he was one of the uh, first um, uh, first deacons of the church. And so the scripture tells us that Philip here, he went down to Samaria, to the city of Samaria. If we were to look at a map, it would be clear to us that Samaria would be northward of Jerusalem, but yet the Bible says he went down. The reason for the word down is because Jerusalem was built on a higher elevation than Samaria. And so you would be going down to Samaria, although you would be going northward on a map. Samaria was the capital city of the entire region of Samaria. And so we often here ask ourselves the question because we know of the interaction that Jesus Christ had with the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And so here we read again that Philip goes down to Samaria. Who were the Samaritans? Now we gain insight again, as I mentioned, of the Samaritans when Jesus Christ himself uh, made himself known to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And let me give you some background as to who these people are. We know that the Samaritans were partly Jew and partly Gentile. And as such, they were regarded among other Jews as a despised people. They were regarded as being inferior and not fully Jew. In our Lord's encounter with the Samaritan woman, we learned that uh, she said, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And so we learned that the Samaritans were basically rejected by the Jews. They were called half-breeds. Uh, they were looked down upon and inferior, but also we know that the Samaritans, they still used and read the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. They did not have the rest of the Old Testament, but they did have the first five books of the Old Testament. They had a belief in God. 
We see that from the woman at the well. And they had a certain amount of right teaching about God, but they also at the same time accepted pagan teaching and ideas. Uh, they were also a group of people who were expecting the coming of Messiah. We know that because when we read in John chapter 4, verse 25, as Jesus Christ is conversing with the woman at the well, she said this in John 5, uh, 4, uh, 4.25, The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And now she found out very quickly that to whom she was speaking was the Messiah. But the point is, all of those things fall into place. They were neither Jew nor Gentile. They were, if you would, based upon the Jews, half-breeds, despised people. They did have a portion of the Old Testament which they read. They did believe in God, but along with their belief in God, they basically had their own temple as well. But they brought in some pagan tradition and teaching. But there was some expectation of a Messiah or a Deliverer. And so, with that said, when we read about those Samaritans, we know, as I mentioned earlier, that they were a bewitched people. I'll talk a little about, about that in just a moment. But what did Philip do with such people? Philip, who apparently had gotten saved at some point, who was part of the, uh, the, the, the church at Jerusalem, who himself was a Jew, he's now ministering to a group of people and following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is witnessing to a, a group of despised people in the land, to a group of people who he knows believe in God, but also have some pagan tradition, and to people here who evidently have been bewitched by sorceries. And so what does he do with such people? You know, we often, we look around us and uh, unfortunately the media has portrayed it, that we have a, a class warfare and groups of people here and groups of people there and there's kind of this class warfare going on and often people, they criticize a group of people over here because of the way they do things and the way they speak and the way they look and the, another group over here. And so what do we do with those different groups of people? That's what we find here in the midst of the first century church. They had to deal with conflicts among people. How do you deal with such people? Well, this is what is so special about the message of the church. You see, the message of the church is Christ. The preaching of Christ, unfortunately, has been forsaken in many churches today for a message of religion. Every single week I meet people who talk about their religion thinking that their religion is going to earn them eternal life. Philip here did not preach about a religion. He did not preach about the church in Jerusalem. He preached Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. Philip here was evidently not concerned with prejudice. He saw people who needed Christ. You see, whatever our identity is, whatever our culture or our background, it is always done away with in the gospel of Christ. That's why in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, you remember what Paul told the believers of Galatia, who, by the way, were struggling with doctrine, and there was a class warfare between the Jews and the Gentiles and the church, and some opinions were flying around. And Paul said in Galatians 3, 26, For ye are all the children of God by faith, in Christ Jesus. 
For as many of you as has been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male or female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, all the things that we may identify with as far as our culture and our background, well, I came from Germany and I came from Italy, I came from Africa, whatever the cultural background is, when the gospel is preached, and it's preached to everyone, and everyone loses their cultural identity in the gospel. And they become one in Christ. Now, it's uh, wonderful to have a diverse church. But the, the strength of the church is not its diversity, it is its unity in Christ. Because He is the one that becomes the most important thing about us. Well, by the way, that flies in today's, uh, uh, today's uh, uh, you know, uh, atmosphere that the media has promoted. You see, the gospel solves all the problems of the world. I want you to see several things as we think about the circumstances of the preaching, as we've answered those questions, we, we see here that the preaching was heard. We read in verse 6, And the people, with one accord, gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And so here the preaching was heard. Evidently, we know what he preached. He preached Christ. I would imagine that it would be very similar to what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. It would be very similar also to what Stephen just preached in Acts chapter 7, uh, preaching about what? About Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, preaching Christ as a summary and an exposition of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so that's what they heard. We also see that not only the preaching was heard, but we see that the people were healed. Uh, we know that Jesus Christ uh, uh, asked for the disciples to wait for the Comforter to come, and uh, the apostles would be accompanied with signs. Now, it is important for us to understand as we think about the sign gifts that we find in the first century church, that those were temporary gifts given to the church to do what? To validate the message, just like the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. The miracles that Jesus Christ did were there to testify that He was indeed the Son of God. And confirming the message that He preached about Himself. And so as we look at the first century church, we find many of those sign gifts, the speaking in tongues and the healing, which was those sign gifts to confirm uh, that God says, this is my church, and they are, uh, and you should hear them. And so here, we find that the people were healed. But again, as we read this text, the Bible doesn't say that they believed in the miracles. We find that they believed in Jesus Christ. You see, that is the great trouble with the world today. They're still looking for signs, and they're still looking for wonders. And the signs and the wonders have already been done. The church has already been validated. It doesn't need to be validated again. The message has already been validated in the person of Christ, and those sign gifts have already been done. We don't need those again. What we do need and what the world needs is not more signs. The world needs Christ. You see, the preaching was heard, the people were healed, but also thirdly, the place was happy. I'm trying to alliterate here. And so notice here what happens in verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. 
Well, certainly there was great joy in the fact that people saw the miracles and were healed, but I think the joy clearly comes from the fact that they heard the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now, you say, well, why do you say that? Why do you think that they were happy not for the healing but for the preaching of Jesus Christ? Because they already had a man parading himself around with signs and wonders and miracles. They already had that in Simon. And so now that Philip comes, he's pre there's something out that is added to the sign and to those miracles that are done. But here, Philip is not trying to trick them. He has given them the truth about Christ and the signs that accompany them. And now there's great joy in the city. It is interesting that the signs and those other manifestations by Simon were not enough for the people in Samaria. But as soon as Jesus Christ comes along, or the preaching of Christ comes along, all of a sudden you find that that is enough. And there was great joy in the city. Why? Because Christ indeed is enough. You see, the preaching was heard, the people were healed, the place was happy. And so that is the, the circumstances of the preaching. But then secondly, we see the condition of the people. The Bible tells, I know we're going to talk next week about Simon and look into Simon. There's a debate among, uh, I'll say, I'll say, among scholars and commentators as to Simon. Was he saved? Was he not saved? What happened to Simon? As we read at the end, he tries to give money to Peter so that he has the same gift to be able to uh, ask the Holy Ghost to come down and to give gifts unto men. And so there's debate whether he was really saved or not. Well, that's for another conversation. What I want to focus on is what happened to the people right now because of what Simon did. We read here the condition of the people. Now, notice uh, verse 9. And there was a certain man called Simon. Now, we're going to talk about him later, but notice here, which before time in the same city used sorcery, the same city where Philip right now is preaching, and that Philip, he used sorcery, notice, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed. So notice here, Simon had a following. Evidently, whatever he was doing was a visible manifestation of something that enthralled the people that they thought he is worthy to be heard. From the least to the greatest. So notice it was not like there was lower class and rich class. and they No, they were all duped and bewitched. All of them were. Saying, this man, notice what they were saying about this man. This man is the great power of God. So evidently, Whatever Simon was doing was impressing the people. And when they looked at Simon, they thought, that's the power of God. We, I mean, there it is. Look at what he's doing. And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. I want to look here at several things about the condition of the people. First of all, we observe the craft of his performance. We read about Simon here who the Bible says used sorcery. He, the Bible says when they looked at that man, they thought he was a man with the power of God. Uh, the Bible says in, uh, in verse 11 that he had bewitched the people with sorceries. What is sorcery? We read of this word twice. The word sorcery was the practice of magic art. This was a man who basically used enchantments and divination. Sorcery is the practice of witchcraft, of wizardry, of magic, of divination, of enchanting. This ungodly practice is found throughout the Bible, and it seems that it was commonplace in the first century church. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 18, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says this, Now, as Jans and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Now, it is believed that Jans and Jambres were two of those magicians in Exodus chapter 7 who were contending against Moses. Remember, uh, in Exodus 7, 11, then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. That's who they were. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. So that's what we read in Exodus. The sorcerers were enchanting, and in some measure, not the fullness of the power of God, but in some measure, Pharaoh could say, whatever you're doing, Moses, our magicians are doing over here. Our sorcerers are doing the same thing over here. And, uh, you know, all the other small details often are overlooked, but uh, when uh, the rod of, uh, of Moses turned into a snake, and then they brought forth, and they made their own rod turn into a snake, but then they for neglect to point out that the snake of Moses ate the other snakes from the magicians, showing the power of God is greater. And so we must not think that that means that it's just fake. There's no power. There is power. The devil's power is true in the world. We find that throughout the word of God. And evidently these people were impressed by what was going on. Such people often study astronomy, medicine, and philosophy. Often these people would claim to have the ability to contact the dead, to foretell the future, to cast spells on people, to have certain powers that makes other people dependent on them. And so the idea here of sorcery is it really has a, is a wide range of things that is really happening all across our land today. According to an organization called Religious Tolerance, the fastest growing religion in the United States, percentage-wise, is paganism. And they say that every 30 months, their numbers double. Every 30 months, their numbers double. Well, apparently there seems to be some power out there that is gripping the people in our land. And uh, a lot of these things has to do with, with drugs and the contacting. That's, that stuff is happening today. And it's gaining in strength, the occult, uh, occultism. And, uh, and by the way, you have to be careful with a lot of those other things that are going on. You have your yoga and all those other things. This is part of the same group. Where you kind of, uh, and you have to be very careful because some of these things are, are borderline uh, spiritism and it's very dangerous to get involved in those types of things. Ouija boards and all those things. You have to be very careful with those things. It's not playing around. There is the power of Satan is alive today in the world and we must not uh, put a blind eye to it and say, no, those things are not happening. They are indeed happening. And so we observe the craft of his performance. He, whatever he was performing, they thought that was the power of God. We don't have the details of what he was doing, but the people were bewitched. So we see the craft of his performance, but also we observe the conning of the people. We have twice the word bewitched. The people were bewitched in Samaria. They gave heed to this man from the least to the greatest. The Bible says to him they had regard. The word bewitched is an interesting word. It's used twice here in our passage. The word bewitched means that 
People were astonished by him. They were amazed by what he was doing. The word bewitched indicates that people were entranced or enraptured by his sorcery. They were transfixed by the things that Simon had been doing among them. I like the definition in Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary. defines uh, bewitched as this, to fascinate to gain an ascendancy over the charms or incantations, uh, an operation which was formerly supposed to injure the person bewitched. It means to charm, to fascinate, to please to such a degree as to take away the power of resistance. To deceive and mislead by tricks. Basically the word bewitched means that they have been duped by an imposter. The Bible doesn't say he had no power, but he was an imposter. Not the power of God, although it appeared to be, according to them, the power of God. By the way, we look around us today, and it may not be with sorcery, but there's a lot of bewitched people. People all around us who are deceived, and by the way, often people are deceived by religion. People today are deceived by sorceries. People today are deceived by scientists. People today are are deceived by doctors. People all around us are deceived and they're bewitched. And you say, well, what do we need to do with them? Preach Christ. Preach Christ. That's what Philip did. At no point does he address their sorcery. He just says he preached Christ. Why? Because as Paul said... Uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. The preaching of the gospel is more powerful than any power of sorcery that is alive today and active in our world. And that's the answer for the world. But there's one more thing we find, and that is the, as we think about um, Simon and the people, we, we observe the craft of his performance, the conning of the people, but also notice thirdly, we observe the condemnation of his purpose. And this is what reveals and brings the veil away. Notice what the Bible says at the end of verse 9, giving out that himself was some great one. That's what gives them away. What separates Simon from Philip? Well, I'll tell you what separates them. Simon... He was giving out himself that he was some great one while Philip was preaching Christ as the great one. You see, that's what gives away to all the charlatans of the day who uh, even during the, uh, the you know, uh, COVID, they have some elixir, they have some uh, you know, a formula, uh, they have, uh, you know, that will keep some uh, force field around you and you just send them money and then uh, you will get healing and you'll be uh, just fine. And, and, there's, uh, and what they're trying to do, they're trying to c- command people after themselves and people are like, oh, look at these great people, look at what they can do. But they draw people after themselves and not after Christ. That's what gives them away. If any preacher, anybody stands up and says, believe me, whatever rank they have, whatever organization they're part of, if they say, I'm the answer, believe me, you're about to be bewitched. But if someone says, I'm not here to draw you after me, I'm here to point you to Jesus Christ, He is the answer for your need, that is a preacher of the truth. So we observe the condemnation of His purpose You see, the whole purpose of Simon, as we'll see later, he's going to look at Peter, 
laying his hands, Peter and John laying their hands on those who believe there in Samaria. And I'll talk about that a little bit. And notice what Simon is going to say. Simon, when he saw, in verse 18, when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. What was Simon all about? He was all about himself. Wow, I want that power. He was impressed. He was impressed by the power that was displayed in the life of Peter and Philip. But he was not impressed with the God of Peter and Philip. You know, the world today is still screaming and crying for a Savior. But you know what they want? They want a human Savior. They don't want the true Savior. When you look at when Adolf Hitler took over Germany, what was interesting is Germany, because of their defeat in the first war, uh, there was inflation out of control. Uh, there was a little story that was recorded where a woman had a, a, a wheelbarrow full of coins, and she said, she stopped at a store, and she said, well, uh, nobody is going to take those coins, so I'll just leave this wheelbarrow just outside. She went into the store. She came out of the store, and she found that somebody had turned over the coins and took in the wheelbarrow because the wheelbarrow was more valuable than all the coins contained in them. And you know what Germany was looking for? They were looking for a savior. And Adolf Hitler saw himself as the savior of the people. And by the way, when he came and he ascended to power in Germany, people looked at him and, and the economy started getting better and they thought to themselves, we found a savior. They were looking for a human savior. And that is still the problem today. To look all around you. What are people looking for? They're looking for some political figure to solve all of their problems. And all along, they're missing the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what, what we live in a country? We live in a country that is bewitched. Looking for human answers apart from God, never able to find them. And you know what's going to happen? There's going to be an increased anger as man continues to find over and over and over again that man cannot satisfy and meet their needs. Now that's where we step in. Because that's exactly how we find the people here. They've been bewitched. They're impressed. They think this man has the power of God. Uh, they look at this man. They thought he has the answers. And then when Philip shows up and preaches the gospel, they realize we didn't have the answers all along. We've been duped. We've been deceived. But when they heard the preaching of Christ, the scales fell off. We not only see here, as we look at our text, the circumstances of the preaching, the condition of the people, and lastly, we're done, and we're really done here, the change from Philip's preaching. Notice what happens in verse 12. But when they believe Philip's preaching, the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now notice, what did they believe? They believe what? The miracles? Well, you can't deny them if you see them happening before you. Those who had the palsy were healed. Those who were demon-possessed, the devils were cast out. You can't deny that. But that's not what they believe. The Bible tells us they believed. The Bible says they believe the preaching. What was he preaching about? The kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Remember what Peter said, We cannot but speak the things which you have seen and heard. There is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus Christ. And so, they were baptized, both men and women. You see, here, here is the, the amazing thing that happened. They were no longer bewitched. They believed. 
They were no longer captivated by signs and wonders by Simon, but they were captivated by the name of Jesus Christ. They were no longer entertained by the wonders of Simon. They became participants and were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference? On the one hand, you have people bewitched, enthralled, enraptured with amazing things. And on the other side, you have people who uh, believe in the name of Jesus Christ. He's the answer. On the one hand, uh, these people were just captivated by all those things and they had regarded this man. They were impressed by this man. So like, tell us more. Let us see more. But on the other side of all, the name of Jesus Christ is enough. These people, they used to say, oh, Simon, show us more. Tell us more. On the other side, you find them not telling to Philip, show us more signs, Philip. But they say, let's be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, these people who were bewitched became active participants by being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and becoming followers of Jesus Christ, making a public profession of their faith in Christ. If those same things were happening to us today, if we were being persecuted as they were, if we were scattered as they were, would we be evangelizing as they were? Let me share with you what I think would happen. And I, I don't say that, but I'm trying to think of my own life. I think that if we were scattered, we'd all kind of maybe the scenario, human nature, return home and kind of uh, talk about how bad we have it over here. Well, this is unfair. Look at what's happening all around us. We're persecuted and we're scattered and we can't meet and we have this madman over here, Saul, he's going from house to house and look at what he's doing. And somewhere along the line, Philip, I don't know what he happened, how he went to Samaria, but apparently he was one of the men that was scattered. And you know what he does, he does in Samaria? He comes to a group of people who are bewitched by all that is happening around them. And he gives them the simple message of the gospel. He preaches Christ. And those people who had lived in deception are changed by the power of the gospel. A despised people found acceptance in Jesus Christ. And the question today is we think about the 21st century and what we ought to be doing in the 21st century. You see, as we look through this book, when we began the book, if you remember, I said, let's look at first century Christianity and let's ask ourselves, do we look like that? And if we don't look like first century Christianity, let's make the adjustments we need so that we look like first century Christianity. Well, you always talk about, it looks like you read through Acts and all you've been talking about, preaching Christ, preaching Christ, preaching Christ, preaching Christ, every single page, every single chapter you talk about preaching Christ. That's right. That's not my emphasis. That's the emphasis of the Bible. You see, we can, we can make whatever the church, we can make the church whatever we want it to be. But would to God that we would make it what God would want it to be. Persecuted, scattered, evangelizing. If they did that while they were being persecuted, how much more should we do that while we're not persecuted? If we have the freedoms? Well, you see, Pastor, 
I just don't want to offend people. Pastor, people are so blind out there. You're right. So what do we do? Lord, may the Lord help us. And we're praying, we'll pray tonight, about moving with a, with a church building. And what, what is that about? What's the church building about? It's not about the building. It's about us being able to do more of what we're already doing. That's all that is about. So may the Lord help us to have a, uh, a, a scriptural mindset when it comes to the life of the church. A lot of things happening in churches. And I guarantee you can find churches all around you with better programs, better coffee, uh, better whatever you want to name it, better youth groups, whatever you want to. But you find a dearth of gospel preaching. It's sad to me. Every time I meet people in the streets yesterday, churches are filled with people who don't know the truth of Christ. It is our responsibility and duty to take the gospel to those who don't.